many of us in this world find ourselves searching for ways to feel more alive. We move through our lives day after day, living through the same repetitive cycles and the same stressful patterns that often leave us feeling defeated, underappreciated, or unfulfilled. But what if there were a different way to perceive life? What if out there we were able to find the keys to a happy, healthy, and fulfilling reality in the lives that we're living right here, right now? For those of us who are looking for a way to transform our lives, for those of us who are looking to fully live in this moment, to change how we feel, how we perceive the world, and awaken to a better reality so we can fully live this life. This is the Live This Life Podcast. And I'm your host, Heath Cummings. I'm here to inspire you to ask yourself the question, are you living or are you killing time? What's going on, friends? Welcome back to the show. Today's episode, we'll be reading the final chapter of The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. We've been on this book for quite a long time. Definitely taken a bit to get through it, but to be honest, here we are approaching the one-year anniversary of the show, and I still find it amazing and never thought it was going to go this far, especially when we started to do this book. Um, never actually thought that we were going to get this book on the air, and things always manage to transpire in such amazing ways. And I feel like this past year has just been a huge lesson in that. This book has been an example of it. Um, when I when I was advancing in the podcast and I thought of, you know, what book could I possibly read on the air? I remember this being one of the ones that so many people said was most pivotal. I remember picking it up years ago and I don't remember it being that profound in my life, but I was also a different person, different time, different perceptions. And when I went down the road to try and secure the rights to the book for the podcast, I thought it was, you're aiming way too high, but if it works, it's going to be great. And it did, and it's been a huge hit. I know a lot of people have gotten a lot of value out of this book. It gets a ton of hits as far as the downloads go. And it's been great for my own personal development because I've been able to revisit this book and apply so much of the knowledge to what has transpired over the last, I'd say 15 years, I think it's been since I picked this up the first time. And I'm not even sure I read it cover to cover. I know a lot of the stuff in here was familiar. Um, and I do make remember making an effort to to dig into it over quite a long time, kind of like we've done now. Um, but yeah, this is this has been a wild ride, and I wouldn't be here without all of you, without the support. I don't think I'd be here without this book and partnering with Namaste Publishing. So a huge thanks to them for taking a chance on a very young uh, and inexperienced podcast. But uh, it's been huge, and a huge thanks to you all for the continued support of the show. Um, can't believe it's reaching a year and I can't believe where it's gone to in this amount of time. And I'm just, I'm pretty pumped to be heading into season two, starting that off with a bang. Um, just got done recording some episodes to set us up for that. So we have a backlog of shows so we don't have such an irregular recording, um, schedule. We're going to try and get two of them out a week. I think we're going to be setting what the schedule is going to be in the next couple of weeks so that people can rely on it a little bit more. Um, I do remember mentioning something in the last few weeks about how something big for the podcast was going to possibly be shaking out. And unfortunately, 
it's not going to work out. That's why I don't usually mention these things like it's going to happen where, uh, you know, a lot of the positive sort of um, worlds of law of attraction say, you know, speak it into existence and it's going to show up. Yes, to a certain extent, I know those things can happen, but there's also that side of me that's a little reserved and I like to let my results speak for themselves. And unfortunately, the thing that I was trying to make happen for the show didn't transpire, but I know that every lesson I've learned this year is to not sweat what appears to be in front of you and that everything's going to happen for a reason and it's going to be for your highest good. So I'm sure whatever that opportunity was, was going to be great, but in the long run, what's in store is going to be even greater. So hold on tight for season two. I know it's it's going to be great. I know we have some great guests already lined up. We've already had some great people on. I've already done a few great interview episodes, and we've got a great new book that's going to be following this one up. Um, it's a little, uh, a little bit more on the unknown side. It's not as big of a name as this one is, but I think that's the flow we're going to hit with the podcast. We'll go with a big book go with one that's a little less known and then jump back into something that's a little more mainstream and alternate back and forth. And I think that's going to get us some great contrast on things between some really unknown unknown concepts, unknown books, unknown authors, and some of the people who've really been pivotal in the fields of uh, personal development and transfer transformation. So let's look at what chapter nine gave to us. Um, and really the, the biggest takeaway that I have from the notes that I took on this chapter was digging deep into that that inner order, that inner order of reality and your own personal accountability. And I really felt like this was coinciding with some of the lessons that I was going through as well as a couple of other people that were close to me about what lies in the subconscious because the subconscious I feel often sabotages us from the greater things in life. And this this chapter kind of opened me up to that. I remember reading it and coming up with some ideas and I had to pause a few times to write down a few things that were happening in other people's lives and then I had a few things that were stark realizations of what was happening in my own life based on what I was reading in those pages. But also I felt like this chapter exposed a little bit of a darker, ugly side of what it can happen out there in the world. Some of the evils of the world, some of the things that are deep down um, you know, why we we attract enemies to us and some of those kind of concepts. If you haven't listened to that chapter, jump back and listen to that one so that this final chapter will make a bit more sense to you. Of course, all the other chapters layered up uh, going to this one. And this is one of those books that you have to sort of build it layer upon layer, chapter by chapter. Um, some of the other titles that I have lined up that I want to read are ones that we can basically just kind of jump around and jump into things and they have great concepts on their own. But this one you should start from the beginning and work your way through. So if you haven't listened to the other episodes that have the Power of Now episodes on them, I'll definitely go back and give those a listen. They are a, a great wealth of information about so many different insights about the way your mind works and the way reality works and the way that you operate those two things in conjunction to make a great realization of what life can actually be. And if this is, the, this is the first time that you're tuning in, or just as a reminder, as we're going through this chapter, um, there's little pause marks, and I will play a little piece of music to give you a second to pause and reflect, um, because that's what Eckhart put these little symbols in the book for, was they wanted the reader to just pause and reflect on what it had just been read. And whenever he uses the word being, I will try to emphasize that. It's with a capital B, and it's to really emphasize like the the being, the one, the God source, 
Um, but being with a capital B is, is what it reads within the book. All right, let's get it growing for the last chapter of The Power of Now. This one is called The Meaning of Surrender. The first section, acceptance of the now. And then I forgot to mention, there's section in italics, which is questions from readers or questions along the way that Eckhart Tolle has uh, amassed, and he put them in the book. So this first part of the acceptance of now in this chapter says in italics, you mentioned, quote, surrender a few times. I don't like that idea. It sounds somewhat fatalistic. If we always accept the way things are, we are not going to make any effort to improve them. It seems to me what progress is all about, both in our personal lives and collectively, is not to accept the limitations of the present, but to strive to go beyond them and create something better. If we hadn't done this, we would still be living in caves. How do you reconcile surrender with changing things and getting things done? To some people, surrender may have negative connotations. Implying defeat, giving up, failing to rise to the challenges of life, becoming lethargic, and so on. True surrender, however, is something entirely different. It does not mean to passively put up with whatever situation you find yourself in and do nothing about it. Nor does it mean to cease making plans or initiating positive action. Surrender is the simple but profound wisdom of yielding to rather than opposing the flow of life. The only place where you can experience the flow of life is the now. So to surrender is to accept the present moment unconditionally and without reservation. It is to relinquish inner resistance to what is. Inner resistance is to say no to what is through mental judgment and emotional negativity. It becomes particularly pronounced when things, quote, go wrong, which means that there is a gap between the demands or rigid expectations of your mind and what is. That is the pain gap. If you have lived long enough, you will know that things go wrong quite often. It is precisely at those times that surrender needs to be practiced if you want to eliminate pain and sorrow from your life. Acceptance of what is immediately frees you from the mind identification and thus reconnects you with being. Resistance is the mind. Surrender is a purely inner phenomenon. It does not mean that on the outer level you cannot take action and change a situation. In fact, it is not the overall situation that you need to accept when you surrender, but just the tiny segment called the now. For example, if you were stuck in the mud somewhere, you wouldn't say, okay, I resign myself to being stuck in the mud. Resignation is not surrender. You don't need to accept an undesirable or unpleasant life situation, nor do you need to deceive yourself and say that there is nothing wrong with being stuck in the mud. No, you fully recognize that you want to get out of it. You then narrow your attention down to the present moment without mentally labeling it in any way. This means that there is no judgment of the now. Therefore, there is no resistance, no emotional negativity. You accept the isness of the moment, then you take action and do all you can to get out of the mud. Such action I call positive action. It is far more effective than negative action, which rises out of anger, despair, or frustration. Until you achieve the desired result, 
you continue to practice surrender by refraining from labeling the now. Let me give you a visual analogy to illustrate the point I'm making. You're walking along a path at night, surrounded by a thick fog, but you have a powerful flashlight that cuts through the fog and creates a narrow, clear space in front of you. The fog is your life situation, which includes past and future. The flashlight is your conscious presence. The clear space is the now. Non-surrender hardens your psychological form, the shell of the ego, and so creates a strong sense of separateness. The world around you and people in particular come to be perceived as threatening. The unconscious compulsion to destroy others through judgment arises, as does the need to complete and to compete and dominate. Even nature becomes your enemy, and your perceptions and interpretations are governed by fear. The mental disease that we call paranoia is only a slight more is only a slightly more acute form of this normal but dysfunctional state of consciousness. Not only your psychological form, but your physical form, your body, becomes hard and rigid through resistance. Tension arises in different parts of the body, and the body as a whole contracts. The free flow of life energy through the body, which is essential for its healthy functioning, is greatly restricted. Body work and certain forms of physical therapy can be helpful in restoring this flow, but unless you practice surrender in your everyday life, those things can only give temporary symptom relief since the cause, the resistance pattern, has not been dissolved. There's something within you that remains unaffected by the transient circumstances that make up your life situation, and only through surrender do you have access to it. It is your life, your very being, which exists eternally in the timeless realm of the present. Finding this life is the one thing that is needed that Jesus talked about. If you find your life situation unsatisfactory or even intolerable, it is only by surrendering first that you can break the unconscious resistance pattern that perpetuates that situation. Surrender is perfectly compatible with taking action, initiating change, or achieving goals. But in the surrendered state, a totally different energy, a different quality, flows into your doing. Surrender reconnects you with the energies, the source energy of being, and if your doing is infused with being, it becomes a joyful celebration of life energy and it takes you more deeply into the now. Through non-resistance, the quality of your consciousness and, therefore, the quality of whatever you are doing or creating is enhanced immeasurably. The results will then look after themselves and reflect that quality. We could call this surrendered action. It is not work as we have known it for thousands of years. As more humans awaken, the word work is going to disappear from our vocabulary, and perhaps a new word will be created to replace it. It is the quality of your consciousness at this moment that is the main detriment of what kind of future you will experience. So to surrender is the most important thing you can do to bring about positive change. Any action you take is secondary. No truly positive action can arise out of an unsurrendered state of consciousness. In italics it says, I can see that 
if I am in a situation that is unpleasant or unsatisfactory and I completely accept the moment as it is, there will be no suffering or unhappiness. I will have risen above it. But I still can't quite see where the energy or motivation for taking action and bringing about change would come from if there isn't a certain amount of dissatisfaction. In the state of surrender, you see very clearly what needs to be done, and you take action, doing one thing at a time and focusing on one thing at a time. Learn from nature. See how everything gets accomplished and how the miracle of life unfolds without dissatisfaction or unhappiness. That's why Jesus said, look at the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. If your overall situation is unsatisfactory or unpleasant, Separate out this instant and surrender to what is. That's the flashlight cutting through the fog. Your state of consciousness then ceases to be controlled by external conditions. You're no longer coming from reaction and resistance. Then look at the specifics of the situation. Ask yourself, is there anything I can do to change the situation, improve it, or remove myself from it? If so, you take appropriate action. Focus not on the hundred things that you will or may have to do at some future time, but on the one thing that you can do now. This doesn't mean you should not do any planning. It may well be that planning is the one thing you can do now, but make sure you don't start to run, quote, mental movies, project yourself into the future, and so lose the now. Any action you take may not bear fruit immediately. Until it does, do not resist what is. If there's no action you can take, and you cannot remove yourself from the situation either, then use the situation to make you go more deeply into surrender, more deeply into the now, more deeply into being. When you enter this timeless dimension of the present, change often comes about in strange ways without the need for a great deal of doing on your part. Life becomes helpful and cooperative. If inner factors such as fear, guilt, inertia prevent you from taking action, they will dissolve in the light of your conscious presence. Do not confuse surrender with an attitude of, I can't be bothered anymore, or I just don't care anymore. If you look at it closely, you will find that such an attitude is tainted with negativity in the form of hidden resentment, and so is not surrender at all, but masked resistance. As you surrender, direct your attention inward to check if there is any trace of resistance left inside you. Be very alert when you do so. Otherwise, a pocket of resistance may continue to hide in some dark corner in the form of a thought or an unacknowledged emotion. The next section, from mind energy to spiritual energy. In italics, letting go of resistance is easier said than done. I still don't see clearly how to let it go. If you say it is by surrendering, the question remains, how? Start by acknowledging that there is resistance. Be there when it happens, when the resistance arises. Observe how your mind creates it, how it labels the situation, yourself or others. Look at the thought process involved. Feel the energy of emotion. By witnessing the resistance, you will see that it serves no purpose. By focusing all your attention on the now, the unconscious resistance is made conscious, and that is the end of it. You cannot be conscious and unhappy. Conscious and in negativity. 
Negativity, unhappiness, or suffering in whatever form means there is resistance, and resistance is always unconscious. In italics, surely I can be conscious of my unhappy feelings. Would you choose unhappiness? If you did not choose it, how did it arise? What is its purpose? Who is keeping it alive? You say that you are conscious of your unhappy feelings, but the truth is that you are identified with them and keep the process alive through your compulsive thinking. All that is unconscious. If you were unconscious, that is to say, totally present in the now, all negativity would dissolve almost instantly. It could not survive in your presence. It can only survive in your absence. Even the pain body cannot survive for long in your presence. You keep your unhappiness alive by giving it time. That is its lifeblood. Remove time through intense present moment awareness and it dies. But do you want it to die? Have you truly had enough? Who would you be without it? Until you practice surrender, the spiritual dimension is something you read about, talk about, get excited about, write books about, think about, believe in, or don't, as the case may be. So give your complete attention to what you feel and refrain from mentally labeling it. As you go into the feeling, be intensely alert. At first, it may seem like a dark and terrifying place. And when the urge to turn away from it comes, observe it, but don't act on it. Keep putting your attention on the pain. Keep feeling the grief, the fear, the dread, the loneliness, whatever it is. Stay alert. Stay present. Present with your whole being with every cell of your body. As you do, you are bringing a light into this darkness. This is the flame of your consciousness. At this stage, you don't need to be concerned with surrender anymore. It has happened already. How? Full attention is full acceptance, is surrender. By giving full attention, you use the power of the now, which is the power of your presence. No hidden pocket of resistance can survive in it. Presence removes time. Without time, no suffering, no negativity can survive. The acceptance of suffering is a journey into death. Facing deep pain, allowing it to be, taking your attention into it, is to, send, is to enter death consciously. When you've died this death, you realize that there is no death. There is nothing to fear. Only the ego dies. Imagine a ray of sunlight that is forgotten. It is an inseparable part of the sun and deludes itself into being. It has to fight into believing it has to fight for survival and create and cling to an identity other than the sun. The death of this delusion not be incredibly liberating. Do you want an easy death? Would you rather die without pain, without agony? Then die to the past every moment and let the light of your presence shine away the heavy time-bound self you thought of as you. The next section, the way of the cross. In italics, there are many accounts of people who say they have found God through their deep suffering. And there is the Christian expression, the way of the cross, 
which I suppose points to the same thing. We are concerned with nothing else here. Strictly speaking, they did not find God through their suffering, because suffering implies resistance. They found God through surrender, through total acceptance of what is, into which they are forced by their intense suffering. They must have realized on some level that their pain was self-created. In italics, how do we equate surrender with finding God? Since resistance is inseparable from the mind, relinquishment of resistance, surrender, is the end of the mind as, you ma as your master, the imposter pretending to be you, the false god. All judgment and all negativity dissolve. The realm of being, which had been obscured by the mind, then opens up. Suddenly, a great stillness arises within you, an unfathomable sense of peace. And within that peace, there is a great joy. And within that joy, there is love. And at the innermost core, there is the sacred, the immeasurable, that which cannot be named. I don't call it finding God, because how can you find that which has never lost, which was never lost, the very life that you are? The word of God the word God is limiting not only because of thousands of years of, of misperception and misuse, but also because it implies an entity other than you. God is being itself, not a being. There can be no subject-object relationship here. No duality. No you and God. God realization is the most natural thing there is. The amazing and incomprehensible fact is not that you can become conscious of God, but that you are not conscious of God. Let me read that one again. The amazing and incomprehensible fact is not that you can become conscious of God, but that you are not conscious of God. The way of the cross that you mentioned is the old way to enlightenment. And until recently, it was the only way. But don't dismiss it or underestimate its efficiency. It still works. The way of the cross is a complete reversal. It means that the worst thing in your life, your cross, turns into the best thing that ever happened to you by forcing you into surrender, into death, forcing you to become as nothing, to become as God. Because God, too, is no thing. At this time, as far as the unconscious majority of humans is concerned, the way of the cross is still the only way. They will only awaken through further suffering, and enlightenment as a collective phenomenon will be predictably preceded by vast upheavals. This process reflects the workings of certain universal laws that govern the growth of consciousness, and thus was foreseen by some seers. It is described, among other places, in the book of Revelation, or apocalypse, through, the cl through cloaked in obscure and sometimes impenetrable symbology. This suffering is inflicted not by God, but by humans on themselves and on each other, as well as by certain defensive measures that the earth, which is a living intelligent organism, is going to take to protect herself from the onslaught of human madness. However, there is a growing number of humans alive today whose consciousness is sufficiently evolved not to need any more suffering before the realization of enlightenment. 
you may be one of them. Enlightenment through suffering, the way of the cross, means to be forced into the kingdom of heaven, kicking and screaming. You finally surrender because you can't stand the pain anymore. But the pain could go on for a long time until this happens. Enlightenment consciously chooses, chosen Enlightenment consciously chosen means to relinquish your attachment to past and future and to make the now the main focus of your life. It means choosing to dwell in the state of presence rather than in time. It means saying yes to what is. You then don't need pain anymore. How much more time do you think you will need before you are able to say, I will create no more pain, no more suffering? How much more pain do you need before you can make that choice? If you think that you will need more time, you will get more time and more pain. Time and pain are inseparable. The last and final section of the book, The Power to Choose. What about all those people who, it seems, actually want to suffer? I have a friend whose partner is physically abusive toward her and her previous relationship was of a similar kind. Why does she choose such men? And why is she refusing to get out of that situation now? Why do so many people actually choose pain? I know that the word choose is a favorite new age term, but it isn't entirely accurate in this context. It is misleading to say that somebody choose a dysfunctional relationship or any other negative situation in his or her life. Choice implies consciousness, a high degree of consciousness. Without it, you have no choice. Choice begins the moment you disidentify from the mind and its conditioned patterns, the moment you become present. Until you reach that point, you are unconscious, spiritually speaking. This means that you are compelled to think, feel, and act in certain ways according to the conditioning of your mind. That is why Jesus said, Forgive them for they know not what they do. This is not related to intelligence or in the conventional sense of the word. I've met many highly intelligent and educated people who are also completely unconscious, which is to say completely identified with their mind. In fact, if mental development and increased knowledge are not counterbalanced by corresponding growth and consciousness, the potential for unhappiness and disaster is very great. Your friend is stuck in a relationship with an abusive partner, and not for the first time. Why? No choice. The mind, conditioned as it is by the past, always seeks to recreate what it knows and is familiar with. Even if it is painful, at least it is familiar. The mind always adheres to the known. The unknown is dangerous because it has no control over it. That's why the mind dislikes and ignores the present moment. Present moment awareness creates a gap, not only in the stream of mind, but also in the past-future continuum. Nothing truly new and creative can come into this world except through that gap. That clear space of infinite possibility. So your friend, being identified with her mind, may be recreating a pattern learned in the past in which intimacy and abuse are inseparably linked. Alternatively, she may be acting out a mind pattern learned in early childhood according to which she is unworthy and deserves to be punished. It is possible, too, that she lives a large part of her life through the pain body, 
which always seeks more pain on which to feed. Her partner has his own unconscious patterns, which complement hers. Of course, her situation is self-created, but who or what is the self that is doing the creating? A mental emotional pattern from the past, no more. Why make it? Why make a self out of it? If you tell her that she has chosen her condition or situation, you are reinforcing her state of mind identification. But it is her mind pattern. But is her mind pattern who she is? Is it herself? Is her true identity identity derived from the past? Show your friend how to be the observing presence behind her thoughts and her emotions. Tell her about the pain body and how to free yourself from it. Teach her the art of inner body awareness. Demonstrate to her the meaning of presence. As soon as she is able to access the power of the now and thereby break through her conditioned past, she will have a choice. Nobody chooses dysfunction, conflict, pain. Nobody chooses insanity. They happen because there is not enough presence in you to dissolve the past, not enough light to dispel the darkness. You are not fully here. You have not quite woken up yet. In the meantime, the conditioned mind is running your life. Similarly, if you are one of the many people who have an issue with their parents, if you still harbor resentment about something they did or did not do, then you still believe that they had a choice, that they could have acted differently. It always looks as if people had a choice, but that is an illusion. As long as your mind with its conditioned patterns runs your life, as long as you are your mind, what choice do you have? None. You're not even there. The mind-identified state is severely dysfunctional. It is a form of insanity. Almost everyone is suffering from this illness in varying degrees. The moment you realize this, there can be no more resentment. How can you resent someone's illness? The only appropriate response is compassion. In italics. So that means nobody is responsible for what they do. I don't like that idea. If you are run by your mind, although you have no choice, you will suffer the consequences of your unconsciousness, and you will create further suffering. You will bear the burden of fear, conflict, problems, and pain. The suffering thus created will eventually force you out of your unconscious state. In italics, what you say about choice also implies to forgiveness, I suppose. You need to be fully conscious and surrender before you can forgive. Quote, forgiveness is a term that has been in use for 2,000 years, but most people have a very limited view of what it means. You cannot truly forgive yourself or others as long as you derive your sense of self from the past. Only through accessing the power of the now which is your own power, can there be true forgiveness. This renders the past powerless, and you realize deeply that nothing you ever did or that was ever done to you could touch, even in the slightest, the radiant essence of who you are. The whole concept of forgiveness then becomes unnecessary. In italics, and how do I get to that point of realization? When you surrender to what is, and so become fully present, 
the past ceases to have any power. You do not need it anymore. Presence is the key. The now is the key. In italics. How will I know when I've surrendered? When you no longer need to ask the question. And that wraps it up, folks. What a way to close out this book. Um, absolutely powerful stuff. I am uh, I'm actually very much pondering a lot of what these things have said in this last chapter. And I think at some point soon, uh, we will do sort of a wrap-up and discuss some of the things that were in this book and possibly have a special guest who may help with some insights on this as sort of like a follow-up. But... What a great way to wrap up the first season of the show, the first year of the show. A very happy birthday to the podcast. I am so pleasantly pleased and grateful that it's made it this far and it's picked up the speed that it has and that all of you who are in support of it um, are there. And I hope you've enjoyed the first year. I hope you've enjoyed this book reading. Um, I know I have. I know I've enjoyed this experience very much. Excited for where the future of this goes. I have no idea where it's going to take me, us, who's coming along, but I know that season two is definitely starting off uh, fast and furious already and just very excited to get more going and get more content and bring a whole lot more varied subjects to everybody. A lot more experience on my part. Um, Definitely gone back and I've listened to some of the earlier episodes and I cringe a little bit. And, you know, just a growing process. It's a, it's a learning process every single day, every single experience, every interview that I do, every interview that I'm on, all the other podcasts that I go on, I see what other people are doing. And, um, you know, the feedback really does help. The feedback of every review, of every good positive email, good message that I get from people, um, but everything helps because this really is a selfless act. You know, this is... Um, it's a hobby, but it's a very time consuming one is most of you who know me or can get a sense. I'm a very busy person and this takes up a lot of time, especially for a guy who's a big family guy, does a lot of his own personal hobbies. So this is definitely a labor of love and any support that you can show, um, would be greatly appreciated. There are some links. I've never actually mentioned this, but there are some links in the body of the show notes that you can actually donate to the podcast through anchor. Um, all donations that we would accept, I don't care if it's $5, they will all help us boost our content on Instagram because Facebook and Instagram really limit how much content um, go out there from pages who've been identified as a business. So basically all we're doing is promoting different guests, different um, episodes, whatever it might be, but um, the smallest donations, even it's, I think it's like $15 to promote, uh, you know, like a three or a four day promotion on Instagram or Facebook. So every penny that could come into the podcast, I'm turning it right back out so that more listeners get on the more reviews, the more listeners that we get, the more I'm able to attract the higher end guests, um, and get some big, big names on here along with the people who are just starting out in some of these fields. And that's what I would love to have a mixture of going forward is to, Boost up some of the people who are making a name for themselves and bring in some of our seasoned veterans that can um, give us some great insights and great content. So again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you all for making season one actually happen. It wouldn't be for you if no one was listening. I wouldn't be talking into this microphone anymore. But for all of you around the world who are listening, I think we're up to 65 countries now and uh, over 10,000 downloads at this point. So extremely grateful. 
um, for all of your support, for all your listenership, and for mostly wanting to listen to this type of content and improving yourself and improving your life. Until next time, I will see you in season two. Keep living, everybody. Thank you very much for listening. It makes no difference. Not until you surrender does it become a living reality in your life. When you do, the energy that you emanate and which then runs your life is a much, of a much higher vibrational frequency than the mind energy that still runs our world. The energy that created the existing social, political, and economic structures of our civilization. And which also continuously perpetuates itself through our educational system and the media. Through surrender, spiritual energy comes into this world. It creates no suffering for yourself, for other humans, or any other life form on the planet. Unlike mind energy, it does not pollute the earth, and it is not subject to the laws of polarities, which dictates that nothing can exist without its opposite, that there can be no good without bad. Those who run on mind energy, which is still the vast majority of the earth's population, remain unaware of the existence of spiritual energy. It belongs to a different order of reality and will create a different world when a sufficient number of humans enter the surrendered state and so become totally free of negativity. If the earth is to survive, this will be the energy of those who inhabit it. Jesus referred to this energy when he made his famous prophetic statement in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the gentle, they shall have the earth for their possession. It is a silent but intense presence that dissolves the unconscious patterns of the mind. They may still remain active for a while, but they won't run your life anymore. The external conditions that were being resisted also tend to shift or dissolve quickly through surrender. It is a powerful transformer of situations and people. If conditions do not shift immediately, your acceptance of the now enables you to rise above them. Either way, you are free. The next section, Surrender in Personal Relationships. In italics it says, What about people who want to use me, manipulate, or control me? Am I to surrender to them? They are cut off from being, so they unconsciously attempt to get energy and power from you. It is true that only an unconscious person will try to use or manipulate others but it is equally true that only an unconscious person can be used and manipulated. If you resist or fight unconscious behavior in others, you become unconscious yourself. But surrender doesn't mean that you allow yourself to be used by unconscious people. Not at all. It's perfectly possible to say no firmly and clearly to a person or to walk away from a situation and be in a state of complete inner non-resistance at the same time. When you say no to a person or a situation, let it come not from reaction, but from insight, from a clear realization of what is right and not right for you at that moment. 
Let it be a non-reactive no, a high-quality no, a no that is free of all negativity, and so creates no further suffering. In italics, I am in a situation at work that is unpleasant. I've tried to surrender to it, but I find it impossible. A lot of resistance keeps coming up. If you cannot surrender, take action immediately. Speak up or do something to bring about a change in the situation or remove yourself from it. Take responsibility for your life. Do not pollute your beautiful, radiant inner being nor the earth with negativity. Do not give unhappiness in any form whatsoever a dwelling place inside of you. If you cannot take action, for example, if you are in, a, in prison, then you have two choices left, resistance or surrender, bondage or inner freedom from external conditions, suffering or inner peace. In italics, is non-resistance also to be practiced in the external conduct of our lives, such as non-resistance to violence, or is it something that just concerns our inner life? You only need to be concerned with the inner aspect. That is primary. Of course, that will also transform the conduct of your outer life, your relationships, and so on. Your relationships will be changed profoundly by surrender. If you can never accept what is, by implication, you will not be able to accept anybody the way you are, the way they are. You will judge, criticize, label, reject, or attempt to change people. Furthermore, if you continuously make the now into a means to an end in the future, you will also make every person you encounter or relate with into a means to an end. The relationship, the human being, is then of secondary importance to you or of no importance at all. What you can get out of the relationship is primary, be it material gain, a sense of power, physical pleasure, or some form of ego gratification. Let me illustrate how surrender can work in relationships. When you become involved in an argument or some conflict situation, perhaps with a partner or someone close to you, start by observing how defensive you become as your own position is attacked, or feel the force of your own aggression as you attack the other person's position. Observe the attachment to your views and opinions. Feel the mental-emotional energy behind your need to be right and make the other person wrong. That's the energy of the egoic mind. You make it conscious by acknowledging it, by feeling it as fully as possible. Then one day in the middle of an argument, you will suddenly realize that you have a choice. You may decide to drop your own reaction just to see what happens. You surrender. I don't mean dropping the reaction just verbally by saying, okay, you're right, with a look on your face that says, I'm above all this childish unconsciousness. That's just displacing the resistance to another level with the egoic mind still in charge, claiming superiority. I'm speaking of letting go of the entire mental-emotional energy inside you that was fighting for power. The egoic cunning, the ego is cunning, so you have to be very alert, very present, totally honest with yourself to see whether you've truly relinquished your identification with a mental position and so freed yourself from your mind. If you suddenly feel very light, clear, and deeply at peace, that is an unmistakable sign that you've truly surrendered. Then observe what happens to the other person's mental position as you no longer energize it through resistance. When identifications with mental positions is out of the way, true communication begins. The question italics. 
What about non-resistance in the face of violence, aggression, and the like? Non-resistance doesn't necessarily mean doing nothing. It mean, All it means is that any doing becomes non-reactive. Remember the deep wisdom underlying the practice of Eastern martial arts. Don't resist the opponent's force. Yield to overcome. Having said that, quote, doing nothing, when you are in this state of intense presence, is a very powerful transformer and healer of situations and people. In Taoism, there's a term called Wu Wei, which is usually translated as actionless activity or sitting quietly, doing nothing. In ancient China, this was regarded as one of the highest achievements or virtues. It is radically different from inactivity in the ordinary state of consciousness, or rather unconsciousness, which stems from fear, inertia, or indecision. The real, quote, doing nothing implies inner non-resistance and intense alertness. On the other hand, if action is required, you will no longer react from your conditioned mind, but you will respond to the situation out of your conscious presence. In that state, your mind is free of concepts, including the concept of nonviolence. So who can predict what you will do? The ego believes that in your resistance lies your strength, whereas in true resistance cuts you off from being the only place of true power. Resistance is weakness and fear masquerading as strength. What the ego sees as weakness is your being in its purity, innocence, and power. What it sees as strength is weakness. So the ego exists in a continuous resistance mode and plays counterfeit roles to cover up your, quote, weakness, which in truth is your power. Until there is surrender, unconscious role-playing con constitutes a large part of human interaction. In surrender, you no longer need ego defenses and false masks. You become very simple, very real. That's dangerous, says the ego. You'll get hurt. You'll become vulnerable. What the ego doesn't know, of course, is that only through the letting go of resistance, through becoming, quote, vulnerable, can you discover your true and essential invulnerability. The next section, transforming illness into enlightenment. The question italics. If someone is seriously ill and completely accepts their condition and surrenders to the illness, would they not have given up their will to get back to health? The determination to fight the illness would not be there anymore, would it? Surrender is inner acceptance of what is, without any reservations. We are talking about your life, this instant, not the conditions or the circumstances of your life, not what I call your life situation. We've spoken about this already. With regard to illness, this is what it means. Illness is a part of your life situation. As such, it has a past and a future. Past and future form an uninterrupted continuum unless the redeeming power of the now is activated through your conscious presence. As you know, underneath the various conditions that make up your life situation, which exists in time, there is something deeper, more essential, your life, your very being in the timeless now. As there are no problems in the now, there are no illnesses either. The belief in a label that someone attaches to your condition keeps the condition in place, empowers it, and makes it seemingly solid 
makes it a seemingly solid reality out of a temporary imbalance. It gives it not only reality and solidarity, but it also, but also a continuity in time that it did not have before. By focusing on this instant and refraining from labeling it mentally, illness is reduced to one or several of these factors. Physical pain, weakness, discomfort, or disability. That is what you surrender to now. You do not surrender to the idea of illness. Allow the suffering to force you into the present moment, into a state of intense conscious presence. Use it for enlightenment. Surrender does not mean... Surrender does not transform what it, what is, at least not directly. Surrender transforms you. When you are transformed, your whole world is transformed because the world is only a reflection. We spoke about this earlier. If you look in the mirror and did not like what you saw, you would have to be mad to attack the image in the mirror. That is precisely what you do when you are in a state of non-acceptance. And of course, if you attack the image, it attacks you back. If you accept the image, no matter what it is, if you become friendly toward it, it cannot become friendly toward you. This is how you change the world. Illness is not the problem. You are the problem. As long as the egoic mind is in control, when you are ill or disabled, do not feel that you failed in some way. Do not feel guilty. Do not blame life for treating you unfairly. But do not blame yourself either. All that is resistance. If you have a major illness, use it for enlightenment. Anything, quote, bad that happens in your life, use it for enlightenment. Withdraw time from the illness. Do not give it any past or future. Let it force you into intense present moment awareness and see what happens. Become an alchemist. Transmute base metal into gold. Suffering into consciousness. Disaster into enlightenment. Are you seriously ill and feeling angry now about what I've just said? Then that is a clear sign that the illness has become part of your sense of self and that you are now protecting your identity, as well as protecting the illness. The condition that is labeled illness has nothing to do with who you truly are. The next section, when disaster strikes. As far as the still unconscious majority of the population is concerned, only a critical limit situation has the potential to crack the hard shell of the ego and force them into surrender and so into the awakened state. A limit situation arises when, through some disaster, drastic upheaval, deep loss, or suffering, your whole world is shattered and doesn't make sense anymore. It is an encounter with death, be it physical or psychological. The egoic mind, the creator of this world, collapses. Out of the ashes of the old world, the new world can then come into being. There is no guarantee, of course, that even a limit situation will do, but the potential is always there. Some people's resistance to what is even intensifies in such a situation, and so it becomes a descent into hell. In others, there may only be a partial surrender, but even that will give them a certain depth and serenity that were not there before. Parts of the ego shell break off, and this allows small amounts of the radiance and peace that lie beyond the mind to shine through. Limit situations have produced many miracles. There have been murders and murderers in death row waiting for execution who, in the last few hours of their lives, experienced the egoless state 
and the deep joy and peace that come with it. The inner resistance of the situation they found themselves in became so intense as to produce unbearable suffering, and there was nowhere to run, nothing to do to escape it, not even a mind-projected future. So they were forced into a complete acceptance of the unacceptable. They were forced into surrender. In this way, they were able to enter the state of grace with which comes redemption, complete release from the past. Of course, it is not really the limit situation that makes room for the miracle of grace and redemption, but the act of surrender. So whenever any kind of disaster strikes or something goes seriously wrong, illness, disability, loss of home or fortune, or of a socially defined identity, breakup of a close relationship, death or suffering of a loved one, or your own impending death, know that there is another side to it, that you are just one step away from something incredible, a complete alchemical transmutation of the base metal of pain and suffering into gold. That one step is called surrender. I do not mean to say that you will become happy in such a situation. You will not. But fear and pain will become transmuted into inner peace and serenity that come from a very deep place, from the unmanifested self. It is, quote, the peace of God which passes all understanding. Compared to that, happiness is quite a shallow thing. With this radiant peace comes the realization, not on the level of mind but within the depth of your being, that you are indestructible, immortal. This is not a belief. It is absolute certainty that needs no external evidence or proof from some secondary source. The next section, transforming suffering into peace. I read about a Stoic philosopher in, an, in ancient Greece who, when he was told that his son had died in an accident, replied, I knew he was not immortal. Is that surrender? If it is, I don't want it. There are some situations in which surrender seems unnatural and inhuman. Being cut off from your feelings is not surrender. But we don't know what his inner state was when he said those words. In certain extreme situations, it may be impossible for you to accept the now. But you always get a second chance at surrender. Your first chance is to surrender each moment to the reality of that moment. Knowing that what is cannot be undone because it already is. You say yes to what is or accept what it isn't. Then you do what you have to do, whatever the situation requires. If you abide in this state of acceptance, you create no more negativity, no more suffering, no more unhappiness. You then live in a state of non-resistance, a state of grace and lightness, free of struggle. Whenever you are unable to do that, whenever you miss that chance, either because you're not get, getting generating enough conscious presence to prevent some habitual and unconscious resistance pattern from arising, or because the condition is so extreme as to be absolutely unacceptable to you, then you are creating some form of pain, some form of suffering. It may look as if the situation is creating the suffering, but ultimately this is not so. Your resistance is. Now, here is your second chance at surrender. If you cannot accept what is outside, then accept what is inside. If you cannot accept the external condition, accept the internal condition. This means do not resist the pain. Allow it to be there. 
Surrender to the grief, despair, fear, loneliness, or whatever form the suffering takes. Witness it without labeling it mentally. Embrace it. Then see how the miracle of surrender transmutes deep suffering into deep peace. This is your crucifixion. Let it become your resurrection and ascension. The question italics. I do not see how one can surrender to suffering. As you yourself pointed out, suffering is non-surrender. How could you surrender to non-surrender? Forget about surrender for a moment. When your pain is deep, all talk of surrender will probably seem futile and meaningless anyway. When your pain is deep, you will likely have a strong urge to escape from it rather than to surrender to it. You don't want to feel what you feel. What could be more normal? But there is no escape, no way out. There are, all, there are many pseudo-escapes, work, drink, drugs, anger, projection, suppression, and so on, but they don't free you from the pain. Suffering does not diminish it. Suffering does not diminish in intensity when you make it unconscious. When you deny emotional pain, everything you do or think, as well as your relationships, become contaminated with it. You broadcast it, so to speak, as the energy you emanate and others will pick it up subliminally. If they are unconscious, they may even feel compelled to attack or hurt you in some way, or you may hurt them in an unconscious projection of your pain. You attract and manifest whatever corresponds to your inner state. When there is no way out, there is still always a way through. So don't turn away from the pain. Face it. Feel it fully. Feel it. Don't think about it. Express it if necessary, but don't create a script in your mind around it. Give all your attention to the feeling, not to the person, event, or situation that seems to have caused it. Don't let the mind use the pain to create a victim identity for yourself out of it. Feeling sorry for yourself and telling others your story will keep you stuck in suffering. Since it is impossible to get away from the feeling, the only possibility of change is to move into it. Otherwise, nothing will shift. So what did you come here to learn? What sort of common themes seem to keep popping up in your life? I mean, I immediately think of people who maybe magnetize the wrong type of relationships. They, they, they seem to magnetize the wrong types of people all the time, but it always seems to be the same type of person. What lesson are you trying to learn? What sort of thing is that maybe teaching you about yourself and the strength that you need to have or not having the dependence on a certain type of people or being stronger for yourself? What sort of thing keeps on recurring for you that keeps on coming back so you learn that lesson because that i think is the reason why you're here i think it's the reason why we're all here and once you learn that lesson i feel like you can you can move on from it but the perfect order of the universe that creates everything in its in its perfect operating system the same universe that creates the perfect geometric patterns in a snowflake and guides you know, our planet to have the perfect balance of the seasons and stuff so life can thrive also creates certain circumstances in your life for specific reasons. And many of those reasons are very hard to realize at the time that you're going through it. When you're in the midst of chaos or in the midst of a lesson, it's very hard to see it. And often that clarity comes years later. I've managed to see the clarity of one of my toughest years in 2017. And it took I want to say a good solid two years before I was actually able to see why the hell I went through such a difficult time and what lesson it taught me. But once I was able to look at it, it was like, boom, wow. 
it's amazing to look at that perspective later on. But in the time that you're going through it, especially when you first start off on this stuff, it's nearly impossible. And if you try, it's going to drive you nuts. If you sit there and you're like, why am I going through this stuff? Why am I going through these difficulties? You really can't. You have to sit and just weather the storm. And then afterwards, you can pick up the pieces. But a lot of the time, the reason why you're going through a certain lesson that you're going through is because of what your your underlying program, your subconscious mind, your subconscious beliefs have had you go through. Whether it's your higher self that that is an underlying thing, whatever you want to call it, but whatever it is, magnetize that lesson to you. And I feel like we keep learning those lessons until we've passed the class and we're able to move on because we've experienced it, we've learned from it, we've recognized it, and we can move on. And again, going back to that concept of the character in the book, when you look at the story of that character and you're able to look at it from the perspective of the author, you'll maybe realize what that recurring story has been for you. I think it's a huge, important part of the process. You know, it kind of reminds me of somebody that, that I know um, that no matter where they go, no matter where they work or certain events they go to, or even with some of their friends and family, they constantly magnetize conflict to themselves. No matter what job they're in, no matter how good the pay is, no matter how good the schedule is, no matter what it is, they're never happy. I mean, let's be honest, how many of us are ever really happy in any job? Unless you're fortunate enough to be living your your dream job. Um, and even, even some people that I know who've talked about living their dream job, people who've, who've dreamed of playing in the NFL for so long, they get in there and they're playing a game and getting paid millions of dollars to play a game. It seems like it would be a dream. But they play for cutthroat organizations. They play for very hard to deal with egotistical coaches. A whole te- a team made up of uh, wannabe superstars. You know, I've heard of so many stories of once they got in there, it's like, wow, this isn't what I expected. How many actors say that in Hollywood? You know, they, they dream of getting there their whole lives and then they get to Hollywood and realize how really twisted that entire life can actually be. Um, so even your dream job can have its downfalls. But I mean, back to this person who who I know, they... They never seem to be happy no matter how much money they're making, no matter how good their hours are, no matter what. It's always a miserable circumstance. And that theme also recurs for the relationships they make as well. So what's the common theme that that person needs to realize? Is it really the job or is it really their ability to adapt and just try to find the positive perspective in whatever situation they're in? I mean, my personal personal opinion is that those circumstances that they're living through is just a lesson in Come what may, try to enjoy whatever's there. Look at the positive perspective because you're going to see what you focus on. And that's another common theme that we talked about a lot in season one. But if you don't, the same old common themes are going to continue to pop up for you over and over. So again, to wrap up that sort of section of season one, we tend to just bring up and magnetize those circumstances back to us and they'll keep on coming back. Um, especially if we're on that cruise control and we just don't consciously guide the direction of our life. I mean, the evidence is there. If you look at your life, I'm sure you can see that you've brought on a lot of things that have happened, good or bad, and the underlying things that led up to those things that happened. If you change the pattern of the things you do, if you change the affirmations that you make in your life, no matter what it is, if you look at yourself, you're not happy, you can say that I'm I'm getting better every day. I'm going to look better every day. If it's your mental health, you're going to say, I may not be happy at the moment, but today I'm going to be happier than I was yesterday, and tomorrow I'm going to be happier than I am today. And if you at least say that to yourself and you affirm those things over and over, 
that's the script you're building for yourself. And those will turn into subconscious thought patterns. You say it enough, you're going to believe it. And next thing you know, your life has shifted. Belief is key. So just in kind of going on through season one, like I said, there has been a lot of a similar sort of process of some of the episodes. You know, we dive into a little bit of consciousness. We go into a little bit of a uh, quantum physics type stuff. Going to be shifting into a little bit more expert-based type of programming. Um, I've got quite a few great guests already on tap, some that are that are getting done in the next few weeks so we can build a backlog of episodes. Um, great people to come on. Instead of just hearing me talk all the time, we'll get into a lot more conversations. Um, and, and, you know, one thing to say about the podcast, most of you know who've listened um, know that this was just a project that I, I just wanted to say that I could do it. Someone kind of almost dared me to do it. A mentor kind of said like, oh, you should give it a shot and, you know, see, see where it goes. You should start a podcast. And I did it just because it terrified me. And this has all spun out of it. And I really didn't think a year ago that I'd be still sitting here a year from now with all of the listeners that we have, the hundred, the, the 60 whatever countries we're up to now, um, over 10,000 downloads within the first year. Never thought any of that was going to be possible. And because of that, I'm able to look back on some of the mistakes I feel like I've made during season one. There's a lot of talk that I do about my own journey because I, I find it exciting to look at where I've come from. And I do it from a perspective of trying to tell people, you don't even know the guy that I was five, six, seven years ago. And the complete transformation that I see that I've made when I look back on that book of the, the, the book of my life and that character, it excites me because I know that no matter where you're at, you could end up in such a better place, a more powerful place where you're more in control of your emotions, that anxiety and depression and all those heavy, heavy things that I went through, they were deep. I went through some of the worst of it. I mean, a, a, a guy like me to, to wake up in the morning after two hours of sleep from being up all night with anxiety and just being a nervous wreck. Um, I know a lot of people live their life that way and it's so unfulfilling. And I am excited because I know that I got myself to a better place without going through intensive like um, mental health uh, evaluations, and which I definitely don't thumb down my nose on. Um, they have their place. And I did go through some. I went through some some professional help. Um, and I did it for the most part without medications. And I did it for the most part in such a, a healthy, organic way. But it took a long time, just like physical fitness does. I mean, you can you can pump steroids and do all sorts of stuff and look really great. But is it good for you in the long run? Um, but sometimes you need a boost. And really, I feel like going through the experience, listening to stuff like this can help get you in that better perspective in such a short turnaround, in such a quick amount of time. And that's what excites me. And I made a lot of the mistakes in this episode, in uh, season one, where I'd be talking with people and I'd go over the same stuff all the time about my transformation process. And I know that in season two, I'm going to do that a lot less. I'm actually doing it right now in this episode. Um, but moving on in my evolution as a podcast host, Bringing in a different type of programming for season two is what I'm very excited about. I've learned through the through the the experience of of a year's worth of doing episodes that this will be episode 49. So in 49 episodes, I feel like I've started to get the path. I've started to catch my stride. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to bringing a, a much more professional, streamlined level of of a podcast show to everybody and uh, continue to evolve everything with the show. 
um, whether that's the, the type of guests we're bringing on, the type of subjects we cover, um, maybe talking a lot less myself when I have a visitor on, uh, a guest on the show. Um, but it's all, it's all a growing process. That's what life is all about. Living life, living this life is just that. You're constantly growing from the day you're born until the day you leave this physical incarnation. And being patient with that and living through it is, is amazing. And some of the guests that we have that we have coming on immediately are, are speaking to that, that concept um, you know, I have one person who she evolved her life. Um, she had gone into college, you know, sort of the, the family pressure of you need to go to college, you need to get a job. And that's the way life is. And she got there and she could have started climbing the corporate ladder. Didn't like it. Her story's amazing. She packed up, she moved across the country, eventually ended up in Hawaii and has done all sorts of cool high vibe stuff ever since then. Um, so she's in one of our first few episodes of the season. Um, I've got another person coming on who is a brainwave expert, and he's going to talk about some of the different types of brainwaves that we have and the different brain states that we have between dream state and highly creative states and um, highly productive states and how our brain naturally goes to those places depending on sort of our focus and, and what we're doing and where we're going. But we can get ourselves to that state in a very deliberate way and a very quick matter, a uh, quick way, in a matter of fact. And that's what he's coming on to talk about, about certain audio tunes that he can actually, his company creates these, these audio tunes called hemisyncs or binaural beats. And it will actually get your brain into those states. So I'm excited for that episode. But um, we have so many people coming on. I mean, another one that I have lined up as well is a uh, is a TEDx speaker who she came on and talked, had this amazing 15-minute presentation on lucid dreaming and how you sleep through about a third of your life. And during those sleep periods, you can actually get your brain to a state that will allow you to control your dreams, physically control your dream. You can actually control what happens in your dreams. And a lot of people can do that already, but I, I know that um, I haven't ever reached that state. But a lot of people can, and she has made a huge part of her life study about just that subject. So she'll be coming on to talk about that, and her concept's amazing, saying that basically if you have to sleep through a third of your life, why sleep through your dreams as well? And I know that Nikola Tesla was rumored to have done that same exact thing that he was able to create some of his inventions in his sleep during his dreams. So if you think about the power of that, where you can not have to physically tinker and toy and weld and, and you know have to do all this kind of physical labor to create an invention. If you could just sort of build it in your dream, make the mistakes, wipe the slate clean and start right over with just non-physical matter and create it in your dream state like you could in the real life. But in fractions of the time and in that time of your life where you don't usually create anything you're just sleeping the concept of lucid dreaming fascinates me so i'm super pumped to have her come on so that's just a sneak peek i mean i've got a bunch of others that are lined up as well but season two is going to be kicked off with a bang i'm so excited for it i'm so excited to bring more to the show and we'll also be wrapping up the power of now uh with a with a with a book discussion and actually we'll be starting a new book it's actually a book series there's three different books it's gonna be brought to you by golden flower star books and they've partnered with live this life and we'll be bringing to you a book series called the secrets of the universe and the series actually three short books 
Uh, the first one's called Introduction to Manifest Your Desires. The second one is How to Change Your Mindset. And the third one is The Key to Manifest. And since these are shorter books, we'll be doing the complete series all in um, in one sort of uh, pass-through you know, with a series, we'll probably read them like once a week or probably like once every 10 days. We'll read uh, probably like half a book at a time. So it'll be a, a fairly short series, but we're going to do the whole series all in one on-air um, series. So it's going to be great. Um, and it's a very exciting book to follow the power of now too. I mean, I was looking around to try and figure out what's the next one to sort of bridge into, to segue into. And I feel like the power of now got us to a certain place to discover more about the internal state where we are and once we figure out that one that who we are where are we and where are we going those two first parts of who are we where are we who we are is sort of what the first part of the book got us to and where are we is what the power of now the power of presence gets us to where are we going comes from the states that they talked about in the power of now of that unmanifested and i feel like that ending point of the unmanifested and what comes from that leads right into this book series of um the secrets of the universe so super pumped to bring that one that's going to be awesome uh, and i think you're all going to enjoy it a lot if you tune in for the power of now tune in for what that book series is going to bring i've already dove into some of the, the content of it and i'm excited to just jump in and get it all the way through um most of you know i got a super busy life so i don't actually ever get to sit and read that much um, so it's kind of my reading time when I get to bring it to the podcast. It was probably one of my biggest motivations to, uh, to read something on the show. But yeah, when we, we get into that book, it talks a lot about the mindset of manifestation. And we start to find our place amongst the universe of how to bring things to us by getting into that, that state of presence. And we get to really start to create the life of our dreams from that standpoint. So before I head out, I want to thank you all once again. I knew that I'd do this every single episode, but really from the bottom of my heart, thank you to every one of you who's been listening along the way, all the new listeners that come on uh, wherever you show up, whenever you show up, uh, everybody who's followed along, everybody who keeps the wind in my sails, sends me great messages, shares things on social media, um, follow along with us on Instagram, Facebook. Also started a YouTube page. You can find it, Live This Life. Um, just starting to post full-length episodes on there. So you can actually listen to the episodes on YouTube. Um, we'll be starting to post some videos. When we're actually starting to do some in-person interviews. Um, got a podcast studio being built on the side of my house right now. So um, that's going to be an awesome thing. We'll be able to, it's probably a little bit further down the road, but more video content will be coming on that. And just started TikTok page. No content is on it at the moment. But if you want to follow along on that one, I'm also going to be putting some short clips on there about our upcoming guests. So check out all those things. But again, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I wouldn't still be here on this microphone if it weren't for you, if it weren't for some of the things that you do to support it, um, if it weren't for the things that some of you have done to actually financially support the podcast. Um, you can check the link in the show notes. There's an, an anchor page where you can donate to the show. If the show's meant something to you, um, you could throw a, a buck, five bucks, whatever you want to do. Um, but it's all on there. I, I'm shocked to find that people have done that and, uh, you know, eternally grateful. Every penny that's spent is just turned right back into the podcast and putting it out there. Um, social media charges you an arm and a leg. Every post that you put up basically gets restricted unless you boost it. So I take that money. I throw $15 to boost certain uh, guests that come on, certain advertisements. 
and it goes right back into the show to help it reach more people. So um, you're, you're having a direct effect on how many people's ears this reaches. So thank you for that. Thank you for everything. Um, and thank you for wanting to listen to this kind of stuff and improve your life and live a more fulfilling life in whatever way that means, whether it's striving for physical health, mental health, uh, getting out there and manifest great things for the world and for yourself, whatever it is. Congratulations to you and thanks to you and everyone else like you in this community who just wants to really live this life to its fullest. Also for season two, we're going to feature some new music from a few different people, a few new DJs. Uh, but for now, we'll close this episode up with a song from Soul Rising. This one is off of the 2017 album Electric Flow, and this one's called Shine Bright. So here's to making season two shine as bright as possible. Thank you again for coming along for the ride and wanting to make your life shine as bright as possible. Till next time, everybody, keep living. <laughs>